let's get into this topic of intellectual property. The the position that I come from on this, and as I as I said, I'm I'm not so fixed in my ideology here that I cannot be convinced of the error in my thinking. But after researching it for the minimal amount of time that I have, I do come to the conclusion that if you are sovereign, if the individual is sovereign, and therefore your labor and, uh, and your productive capacity is yours, and the byproduct of it is yours, then that should extend to certain forms of intellectual property. I use, for example, the, uh, a, 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 simple, a simple book. If you sit down for six months and construct a, an incredible work of mystery, and then you take that work out and you publish it, and you sell it to try and make a profit back on your labor, you should be entitled to some protections of that content. Because that is the byproduct of your labor, and it came from you. I also look at a guy like the guy who invented Gore-Tex who is 65 years old in his basement for years and years. He worked on this thing. He almost gave up on it. But then one day he came up with the formula to create one of the greatest, you know, water, I guess, unpermeable water uh, uh, things to put on clothing or to make to weave into fabric to create rain gear. And then he went out and he marketed Gore-Tex and he sells it to any company who wants to produce Gore-Tex products. Well, certainly I believe that that individual, after slaving away in his basement for years, has the right to some protection of the property that he's created, which is the formula. However, I understand that there are a lot of people who disagree with me, and so I thought the best thing that we should do is bring on someone who is truly an expert at this. And so I have invited Stefan uh, Kinsella on, and he is the founder and executive editor of Libertarian Papers. He is the founder and director of the Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom, a member of the editorial board of Reason Papers, and a member of the editorial advisory board of the, uh, I think it's the, the Molinari Review. He is a registered patent attorney and former adjunct professor at the Southern Texas Center for Law, and he has published numerous articles on books on interna- or, sorry, on intellectual property law, international law, and the application of libertarian principles on legal topics. So he is more than qualified to discuss this topic with us. Stefan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jason. All right. Well, I figured we, let's let's lay this up because I, I would imagine that the majority of the bulk of our audience has not spent has spent even less time on this than I have kind of discuss, thinking through their their philosophy on on intellectual property. And a lot of people probably don't even know what it is. So take a moment and talk a little bit about what intellectual property is and then discuss kind of where libertarians come down on this, because I know that it really divides itself into two basic camps, one uh, is the one I would espouse to or, or or get behind, which is the natural rights idea behind intellectual property, the other one being the utilitarian version. And so talk a little bit about that and, and share what it is we're discussing. Well, one of the reasons I think that we have intellectual property is because people ignore it. They ignore it like they ignore ta- uh, the arcana of tax law and 
uh, other corporate regulations that only specialists really know about, you know, like um, say campaign finance law. Most people don't understand this. Most people don't understand intellectual property law because it's extremely uh, uh, arcane and kind of the, the domain of specialists. So they ignore it and it 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 flowers in in the seeds of their ignorance, but because they ignore it, uh, because they assume they hear it called intellectual property, and most people are generally in favor of property rights and the free market, and you know this Western capitalist American system sells intellectual property as just one type of property right, and it's after all in the Constitution as well. So most people assume that there's some specialized area of law that covers a type of property rights, and they're generally in favor of freedom, of prosperity, innovation, property rights, the constitution, the American system. So they assume that there's something good about this system, and they let the experts handle it. And what happens is the special interests that really benefit from it, like Disney and the pharmaceutical industry and the software industry and the movie industry, um, lobby and get – congressmen to enact IP laws that are ever and ever stronger for their benefit and to use America's hegemonic clout in the world to impose treaties upon other countries, which forces our version of IP on these other countries, which we're seeing right now with the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We've seen this in the last 20, 30 years with tons of treaties like WIPO and the GATT and NAFTA and <laughs> all kinds of agreements where basically the special interests, the pharmaceutical industry, Hollywood, the music industry, twist the – get the congressmen who are in their pockets to use the force and the power of America to twist the arms of other countries to adopt American-style copyright terms, etc. Um, okay, so so let me clarify with you though. Are, are, so are you against all intellectual property protections – or are you just against the current form or the current way it's being utilized by and, and manipulated by government and, and large corporations? Well, this is where you have to get into – I won't say libertarian theory, but libertarian basics. right? You have to define your terms. Um, in short, I would say I'm completely opposed to any type of intellectual property, but then you have to define what you mean by that. What happened in history okay, historically – and by the way, your natural rights there, – there are two basic defenses of – Intellectual property. Let's go ahead and define what that is. Intellectual property is a term that describes a set of government laws. Most of them are legislated and statutory, and most of them are federal in the U.S. That would be copyright and patent and trademark and trade secret and also some other smaller ones that have arisen in the meantime. Copyright and patent are the two big ones that cause the most problem, the ones most people are opposed to. Those are the two that are totally dominated by federal statute. They're totally a creature of federal statute. They're not natural at all. Even the uh, the proponents of these laws in the beginning of the country did not pretend to – that they were natural rights. In fact, copyright lasts for now about 100 years. It used to last 14 years. Patents last about 17 years, and if you think about it, rights like property rights that are real property rights do not terminate at a certain small time like that. So there was never the understanding that they were natural rights. It was always a utilitarian grounding for them in the constitutional system and in the, in the minds of the founders. These rights originated – Jason, copyright originated when the printing press started becoming – um, uh, making uh, widespread printing and publishing available, and the, the church and the state got nervous about the ability of publishers to spread 
information to people that they didn't want spread to them, right? The wrong religious views, the wrong political views. So they monopolized the printing presses uh, with the stationer's company, and that led to the Statute of Anne in 1710, which is the basis of modern copyright. So copyright's origins lie in censorship and thought control. Patents arose w with the practice of monarchs and states granting monopoly privileges to certain favored people to allow them to be the only one to practice or sell a certain art or a certain uh, good in a given area. It was just an open monopoly. That's what patent means. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and that led to the statute of monopolies in England in 1623, which is the basis of our modern patent system. So patents and copyrights originated in uh, protectionism, economic protectionism, mercantilism, and thought control. So we have to realize that's where they originated. These are not natural rights. No one uh, – very few people pretend they're natural rights. The only people that do basically end up saying we should have an infinite term because right, real property rights don't expire at an artificial time limit. Uh, but imagine what the world would look like if the people that invented fire, the, the descendants of those people, had a monopoly on fire or wearing clothes or building a home right? or, or Shakespeare's plays or the Bible. Right, you could you could basically have some group of people controlling and preventing other people from using knowledge that they have uh, to control their own resources and to live their lives. Okay, that's I, I get that argument, and and when you discuss the the argument, uh, I guess for or or the argument for natural right, the natural rights position for intellectual property, I look at it and, and I I say I read what you wrote here. It says because one owns one's labor, one has the natural law right to the fruits of one's labor under this view, just as one has the right uh, to the crops one plants. So one has a right to the ideas or gener uh, one generates and the art one produces. And while I understand that there are, I would agree with that. And while I understand that there are certainly, uh, the, what would I, how would I phrase this? While I understand that certainly there is a case to be made against it, and I, and I understand the history of it being very negative, what is wrong with the idea? And, and let's, let's try and narrow this down to one topic so I can wrap my head around it. Let's talk about uh, authorship, because you have authored many books. Um, and you do sell, you give away a lot of the information that you have, but you also sell books. And so are you suggesting that no author should have a claim to the information and, and the labor that they put together on in a book, for example? And if so, how do you justify that uh, considering the individual has, has put his own labor and his own time right. and his own initiative to create it? Yeah, and you've actually – I think that's the right question. That's the right way to look at it, uh, and the answer is absolutely yes, 100 percent. I think there is an, an author or an inventor has literally zero right whatsoever to prevent other people from using information that that person has voluntarily put into the world. If you decide to make information that's in your head public, you cannot blame other people who obtain access to that knowledge from using it. Um, when you say what's my justification, I would, I can give you an answer, and we can get there. But I, I would hey, let, let me let me let sure. me follow sure. up with that because sure okay fair enough. So if I put out a book 
and I, for example, teach people how to start a radio show and how to grow a, 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 a tiny little podcast from like 10 listeners to do, you know, 150,000 listeners a month and get your show nationally syndicated on the radio. And I put that out and I sell that to people. It is, un, it is unreasonable to suggest that now I put that information out there and you cannot then use that information to advance your own self-interest. I, I agree with that. Correct. Okay? Correct. What I disagree with is suggesting that you have no claim on the information at right. all. So it would be completely acceptable, for example, for me to take your work, to put my own name on it, to claim it as my own, and then to resell that information for a profit. For right. me, that, that's where the, 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 the hurdle comes. So what am I missing? Okay, so you acknowledge you see something wrong with this uh, some kind of broad property right claim. Like if you release information into the world, you really can't complain that people learn from it basically. But you think there should be some protection. So that's why I was going to say the burden of proof is on especially libertarians who advocate IP. You need to specify you need to define what you mean by IP and you need to tell me what the justification for it is. You can't just say there should be some Rights. I need to know what these rights are. You need sure. to have an argument for it. Now, the and it's funny that what you went to, which is what a lot of defenders of intellectual property do, they go right away to what you described is called plagiarism or, or fraud. Which, if you, <laughs> this is the problem with I, patent and copyright law. People don't understand it. They talk about it. Patent and copyright have literally nothing whatsoever to do. With fraud or with plagiarism, so the example you gave could apply to a common a public domain work. So let's say I take uh, the Bible, or I take Shakespeare's plays and I slap my name on it and I sell it. That is actually not prohibited right now by copyright law. Yet you don't see that happening. But if I did do that, I suppose you could make a claim that I'm dishonest. I'm a plagiar. I'm a plagiarizer. Usually plagiarism is just a contractual or a customary. Thing that is prohibited by the rules of an educational institution or by a scientific community is policed in that way, but it's not considered a type of property rights theft. You're just seen as a liar. But and, why why is it not seen as as a property rights theft? Because that is essentially what you've done. I, I've stolen the your labor. I've stolen the actual physical product that your labor created. Well, hold on a second. So okay. the examples I was talking about was even with public domain works like the Bible or Shakespeare's plays. Uh, almost no defenders of copyright think it should last forever except for a few nuts like Galambos and Spooner, Lysander Spooner, the, the one thing he was bad on, um, the anarchist libertarian theorist. Um, almost everyone thinks it should expire at a certain time, so almost everyone that's in favor of copyright believes that Shakespeare's plays and Homer's Odyssey and the Bible should be public domain. So copyright law would not stop you from stealing the labor of these long-forgotten authors. It's just a plagiarism question and possibly a fraud question. Okay. But why don't, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but I, but I, I, have okay. a, I, I want to continue this line of thinking. Mm -hmm. so I want to read something else that you wrote on, on the arbitrary limits of intellectual property rights. Okay, Because yes. you, you, you made a claim that anyone who thinks that property rights should extend uh, forever uh, under intellectual property are, are, are really crazy. And I want to read this. This is, moreover, adopting... Uh, a limited term for intellectual property rights as opposed to a perpetual right also requires arbitrary rules. For example, patents last for 20 years from the first filing date, while copyrights last, in some cases, uh, for individual authors for 70 years past the, past the author's death. 
No one can seriously maintain that 19 years for a patent is too short and 21 years uh, too long. Any more than the current price of a gallon of milk can be objectively classified as too low or too high. So let's, let's take this idea that, that I've presented on, on book authorship and that, yes, you can't prevent someone from using the knowledge that you've shared with them, but you can prevent them from profiting from the actual work itself. And why, okay. can, that, why can that not be indefinite? Why can that ownership not be the same as any other type of property ownership, where if I have written this book, and I'm selling this book, and I get ready to die, and I say I bequeath the, this book and the rights to this book the same way I would bequeath land to my posterity. Why couldn't one not do that? Well, there's so many areas we could go to here. The short reason is because these are not natural property rights that have an, a natural boundary right? That, that is objective in nature. They are totally creatures of arbitrary words written down in a statute by a legislature that have to be interpreted by judges and courts, and the contours will always be indefinite and arbitrary. And if you actually understand like the current copyright system, it does not simply prohibit literal copying of a pattern of information. Okay, but now you're okay, but but you're you're now you're now arguing the way the current intellectual property rights uh, are constructed here in America. And, and, the, and what I want to try and do is, is, is I want to try and make the case that, hey, there is some justification for some kind of property right. Because I would, I would argue that, that what you're saying is incorrect, that there are, in fact, boundaries, very right. distinguished boundaries for right. book authorship. And the, we can the reason I go, the reason I go, go to ahead. the U.S. Uh, statute when I discuss this is because that's the only concrete thing we have to discuss because the proponents of IP, like yourself, you say there should be some protection. Well, I don't know how to argue against some protection. I need to see exactly what the protection is supposed to be. Um, and not only that, most defenders of intellectual property, um, even libertarians, if I say, okay, you're in favor of some IP system. You haven't defined exactly what it is. And your excuse usually is that you're not an expert like I am. So I, I understand that. But when I propose in the meantime, let's abolish the copyright system and the patent system because they're obviously unjust. I can give you a million examples of why they're unjust. Most defenders say, well, we don't want to abolish it. They don't want to abolish it. So they end up by default defending the copyright system that exists. So I'm stuck either attacking that system that they, 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 they by default uh, defend. But let's go back once, one second and see if you want to pursue this because you've mentioned this two or three times okay. now. The, the ultimate mistake, I believe, in your approach and, – and notice, by the way, you're mixing in utilitarian arguments with natural rights arguments. So you're talking about the labor – and then you also talk about, uh, you know, the incentive to produce. That's the that's no, no, the no. I have not. I have not discussed the incentive to produce at all. Okay, no, I, I have left the utilitarian argument alone because I understand that you, the utilitarian argument is not in my in my estimation a valid one. But okay, I, well, I, okay, go let's, ahead. Then let's talk about the labor theory. So you said that you, we own ourselves. Now I think right there that's an imprecision. And by the way, most libertarians, and I assume you share this with me, are completely opposed to communism. And socialism, and the root of that is what the labor theory of value. Now, the labor theory of value is a close cousin to the labor theory of property, which is what infects Locke's theory of property, and which I think is the root cause of the mistake on this whole issue. Look, I was a libertarian since 
two, right, as a junior in high school and in law school, and I believed in IP because it was in the Constitution, and Ayn Rand said it was legitimate. But the argument never made sense to me. I became an IP attorney around 1993, and around that time when I kept thinking about it, trying to defend it, trying to justify it, and I finally realized the whole thing is a mistake. So this is how I came to this view. I think it's completely antithetical to property rights, um, and I can explain why. But I think the, the reason the mistake is made is because you say we own ourselves. I don't think we own ourselves. We own our bodies. There's a, there's a clear distinction there, and, and it sounds like a, a nitpicking semantic difference, but it's not because saying you own your body puts the emphasis on the purpose of property rights, which is to have allocated rights to control, scarce resources in the world, things that people can have a conflict over, a violent conflict over. In the case of yourself, that's your body. If you say you're a self owner, I don't really know what yourself is beyond your body. We can get into religion and metaphysics and the soul and memories and thought and feeling and emotions and love and all that. The bottom line is the conflict is always physical violence in the real world about people's bodies or about other physical scarce resources in the world that they want to to use. That's called property, right? Or resources. Um, so when you say you own your body yourself and therefore you own your labor. That's the big mistake. I don't think we own our labor. The word labor is just a description of action. It's saying that you perform a certain action with your body. If you say you own your labor, then you think of it as some kind of substance that you emanate and that if you mix it with other things, you own those things because you own your labor. That's a fundamental mistake in Locke, and other people have seen this. David Hume understood that Locke's argument made an unnecessary step, and this has infected everything. So for example, you probably agree, and maybe you can chime in and tell me, you probably agree that if you create something, you own it. Like that's a source of ownership. Would you, I, would you, I, I would, I, yes, I would concede to that. And I think that's a mistake. Creation is a source of wealth. It's not a source of ownership. The only source of ownership is original appropriation, which means you're a human being walking around in the world, and you come across some resource that is hitherto unowned, right? the state of nature, and you appropriate it by mixing your labor with it. Yes, you don't have to make the assumption you own your labor to say that you own this thing. You own this thing because you're the first person to use it. Okay, let me, a, hang on. You, let me stop you ahead, right sure, there because that, that is – I think uh, – I let me read something else that you have written because that's an okay. important point for everybody. Yep, the problem is. with IP from the natural rights perspective, you write the distinction with, between creation and discovery is not clear-cut or rigorous. Nor is it clear why such a distinction, even if clear, is ethically relevant in defining property rights. No one creates matter. They just manipulate and grapple with it in accordance with the physical laws. Yes. In this sense, no one really creates anything. They merely rearrange matter into new arrangements and patterns. Now, yes. is this not an argument against property rights in total? No. Because no, that's, no one yeah, modifies – hang on. Nobody creates land. Correct. They simply modify the land, and they are simply the first to arrive at the land that yes. no one else has arrived at. Now, yes. can I not make the same claim against the book that I produce, that I mixed my common knowledge of, of, of the language with my labor, and I created something, or I, I, I put something together and modified something that had yet to be modified, and therefore I'm claiming it as my own? How, how is that different? Okay, so uh, okay, so the creation versus discovery thing. 
what happens is that in patent law, okay, now patent law is the law that protects the right of an inventor in a new invention. Okay, it's called discoveries in the uh, in the Constitution, but it's really an invention, which means a new and novel design or contraption or method of doing something that has a, a, a useful end, right? Basically, a machine or a method. In the patent law that we have now, the patent law exempts from protection abstract laws of nature like the laws of physics, like Einstein's E equals MC squared, for example. Mm -hmm. He couldn't have gotten a patent on that. However, if he had been the first one to discover that, um, he could have applied that to some process and gotten a patent on that. And if you're a libertarian, that distinction seems a little bit arbitrary and artificial. So defenders of IP like Ayn Rand have tried to say, well, there's a distinction between creation and discovery. Correct. So the reason that distinction and that argument came up was it was just an attempt by the defendants, the the defenders of IP, to save it from an obvious uh, arbitrariness problem. Well, okay? I, no, I, I think that I think it's a fair argument to suggest that. You, you cannot create gravity. That, that was not a creation. But certainly the, the formation of, of knowledge um, or the sharing of that knowledge in, in a book, and I'm just using a book so we can use yep. the same thing yep. over and over again, yep. of yep. a book is certainly something that was created. And that, I think, I think there is a clear distinction to be, to be made between a discovery of something and the creation of something. So, for example, the, the creation of Gore-Tex is much different than discovering uh, the the idea of how rain clouds, you know, distribute water. I, I, I think, th yeah, I, there's yeah, a difference. I think, I, I, I think if you go into the literature on this, you'll see that the distinction actually is a lot fuzzier than you would think. But the the, the point is the same. The argument that people make in favor of an inventor's rights to a creation or an author's rights to a creation are very similar to what goes on. In the case of, say, mere discovery because you have to have someone devote a lot of labor to it, and they figure out some information that's useful to other people that benefits humanity. Why shouldn't they be – if they put a lot of effort into discovering the law of gravity, and once they discover this and publish it and it helps people and benefits them, why shouldn't they be able to sell that and license it, et cetera? Well, I, I uh, think the, they, they can sell the book. That's that's my whole point is you can see the creation is the formation of the knowledge into something that is easily to easy to disseminate and to uh, and to consume. That in and of itself is protectable under intellectual property. And as I right. said before, what I would argue is you don't have you don't have the right to prevent people from then using the idea, but you can prevent them from redistributing the work because the work itself belongs to you. Well, okay. So first of all, in patent law, it does protect basically ideas. And in copyright law, copyright law is broader. Now I, I'm talking about the US system. Mm -hmm. it, it includes what I talked about earlier, derivative rights, which is uh, if if you sell a book or you create a book, your copyright protects you, uh, gives you the right to prevent people from duplicating the book, but it also gives you the right to prevent people from making a derivative work based upon the book. So then it bleeds into this idea area. So it's it's fine with me if you want to say, well, Stefan, I'm not here defending the U.S. copyright system. I'm just defending some copyright system, but then I don't know what to – Critique. Well, see, but hang on. I, I feel like I've I've clearly defined kind of uh, kind of a a specific situation 
in which, because you're exactly right, I, I'm not suggesting, I don't understand the current copyright system in America well enough to, uh, to argue the current copyright system. I, I'm simply asking, under the conditions that I have laid out, is there not some case to be made for the protection of that work as, well, as intellectual property? Well, let me ask you, what's the protection? Well, the what, is your, what, are you, what do you think that the author's right is? The author has the right to, to sell his work. Yes, I agree with that. And the property, uh, which is the property, the work itself. Now, he cannot prevent someone from using that information to better themselves, but he can prevent them from redistributing the work that he has created. Why? Now, if someone so, is so that, that's the issue. Why can he prevent you from someone from copying information? How, why There's, can I prevent? Why can he prevent you from copying the information? Well, that's that's the ultimate claim of the copyright defenders. They say mm -hmm. the copyright owner has the right to use physical force against another person who makes a copy of their work. That's the ultimate claim, right? So you have to defend that. You have to you have to explain why. Look, if we're libertarians, we think that physical force is justified only in response to aggression, basically, correct? In, in the defense of life, liberty, and property, yes. And property, but you can't, you can't show that it's property by just asserting it. That would be a question begging. We have to explain – you have to show how it's – so in other words, if I say um, self-defense is justified because the, the criminal is actually invading the borders of my body, which we all agree is 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 crime is is property we all agree that's a crime so the question is if you just assert that someone who has possession of knowledge i mean let's say a little let's say someone has heard about the movie star wars let's say he's never even seen it so there's no possible contract he just it's part of the culture now we all know there's darth vader there's anakin skywalker there's the force etc right Mm -hmm. Someone is generally aware of that. They've heard people talk at the at, at the water cooler. They've seen they've seen ads on television, etc. This guy goes out and he writes, "Hey, I'm going to write uh, Jason Stapleton's New Adventures of Han Solo." You just write a novel, it comes out of your head. Now, Lucasfilm or I guess Disney now could sue you because of copyright right now. Now, why is that justified? Whose rights did you violate when you used information that was provided to you in a peaceful manner to manipulate your own property? And, and see, I, I, I think that's I think you're making I think you make a fair case, and, and I think that there is certainly a, a justification for a modification of the current copyright system, because I think if you you know no one has a you don't have a claim on a name, that he, he would not be able to resell the Star Wars trilogy. Why, but why not? Why wouldn't he be able to do re resell? Because it? that is the that is the work. That is the property. It is the byproduct of all of the labor and expense that that individual has has created. So yes, you but can't again, take as that. I but said, if you, you, but you if could you make take... the same argument for discoveries. You could say that it's the byproduct of his labor. Look, George Lucas released this information into the world, just like the Bible is public domain right now. What, do you think you violate anyone's rights by making a photocopy of a Shakespeare play? Or even selling it on 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 Amazon. On well, the not store? not the way it is now, but certainly I think a case can be made that Shakespeare had the right to to leave that the the, the rights to that property to his posterity, and that they could choose to either sell it or give it away or do what they want to with it. But once that product has been created, see, I think that where we we break up is that I think once you've created that, it's the same as though you'd created a plow. 
Now you didn't you, the the steel and everything was was something that was that existed or you know however you the the raw ore and you fashioned it into a plow. Yeah, in but, the okay, same but, way that you fashioned it into a this book. This is the this is the fundamental point. This is the fundamental mistake I believe. Um, the plow example is a perfect one because you are trying to classify that as an example of how creation is a source of property rights. But I think it's not. You to make a plow, you have to have the the ore and the and the wood and or what you know whatever the the components of this device are. You have to own them already, and these are scarce resources that are owned. As I said, either there's only two sources of ownership in my view. Well, three, but let's not get too technical. One source of ownership is original appropriation, finding something unowned in the world like iron ore. Okay. The other would be by contract. Someone that owns a thing can give it to you by contract. And the third would be if, if someone commits a wrong against you, an offense or a, or a tort or a crime, mm -hmm. and you have a claim of, of restitution from them. So you have some claim on their resources, but let's, for, let's forget that one. Basically, it's contract and original appropriation. Creation is the use of your intellect right, and your labor and your body and to perform actions that transform this thing into something that's more valuable. So I agree that if I own a piece of metal and a piece of wood, it's worth almost nothing perhaps. But if I use – but I own it already because I've already – I've either acquired it by contract from someone who sold it to me or I found it in the wilderness and I appropriated it. Okay, so well, I got ownership of that somehow. Now let me – okay. I, I get that. I get what you're now, saying. Now I transform these resources that I already own into a plow. It's more valuable. I've created wealth. I agree with that. Mm -hmm. But I don't have ownership of the plow because of creation. I have ownership of the plow because I owned the 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 – the inputs, right? The resources that the plow is made of. Okay, so let me. So creation me, is not a source of ownership. That's the fundamental mistake, I think. Okay, fair enough. So, so let's say I come into the world and I am raised up, and I realize at some point that the ability to read and write and do arithmetic it would be a valuable skill to have, and so I go out and I purchase those skills from someone else who is willing to teach them to me. And they do not have it out in the world, but they're willing on a contract basis to teach me those skills. Okay, okay, but you don't really purchase the skills. I mean, that's a metaphorical way of describing it, and that's fine. But okay. you've got to realize that that's just a way of describing what really happened is that you transferred some of your resources to him, right, with some of your money uh -huh. in exchange for him doing some action that you wanted him to do, which was mouthing certain words and giving you knowledge. That doesn't mean you actually purchased a skill. No, it's we, not like we, you, we, you don't we, have title to a skill, right? Well, you you would have purchased the knowledge. I don't think that's true either. You didn't. You can't purchase knowledge because knowledge is not an ownable thing. Knowledge is just information. That's like saying if you if you if you go to a rock concert and you or you go to a concert and you watch a performance, you purchased a performance. I mean, after it's over, where is the performance? You, you see what I'm saying? You can use contracts and you can use payments to induce people to do things that you want them to do. It doesn't mean that every contract. Is a purchase of an ownable thing. Okay. Right? If, if I pay someone to juggle for me, I'm happy. I've seen them juggle. It made me happy, but I didn't purchase juggling. Well, no, but if you can purchase the 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 time that it takes to learn the skill to juggle. Yeah, but even that's metaphorically imprecise. You don't purchase I, I don't, time. I, don't, I, just, really. I just don't think that it is. I don't think that it is imprecise. I think that if I purchase knowledge and then I take that knowledge and I create something that is yet to be created, that that is very much similar 
to refining natural products that exist in the world and fashioning myself a tool it, out of them. It, it is similar. I, I don't disagree with you on that. It's just not the same. <laughs> well, but, not- so, so, okay. So, because we're, we're running, uh, we're running short on time, but I want, I want to get to the point. So is, is there any, because they are similar, although not the same. So is there any situation in which you could create an ownership of of a product of an intellectual product that that could be retained by the person who created it or should i feel free to go and get the textbook that you wrote and resell it for a profit i think so when i started out uh, thinking about these matters um, uh, and i finally had the the breakthrough the epiphany look i think the people that figured this out first honestly benjamin tucker was the first but he was not quite on solid ground the first person who really figured this out in a modern sense is Wendy McElroy, a libertarian thinker, and then Tom Palmer. Their two articles really are the ones that sort of opened the floodgates on this and made this clear. So I, I, that helped enlighten me, I believe. But it was more of an intellectual case at first, so I mm-hmm. kind of believed theoretically you can't justify ownership of ideas, but maybe you can think of… Uh, uh, ostracism or private contracts that would p- prevent people from copying information. I still think that to a degree, but I've come to believe that this whole moral or the attitude towards it is totally wrong. And I think the the advent of the internet has helped to open my mind to this. I think there's literally nothing, not only legally wrong, but there's nothing immoral like whatsoever with ever, ever copying or disseminating information. At all, except if you have a private contract with someone, like let's say a friend tells you some information in secret, or you're a priest, or you're a lawyer, or you're a doctor, and you get information with the understanding from your your friend who's the source of the information, uh, or, or or a boyfriend and girlfriend taking you know nudie pictures of each other. There's an understanding that they'll keep this this information private. So if that if the person leaks the information later, I think they're basically violating an agreement with the other person. So that could either be immoral or maybe even a contract breach, and there could be a mm-hmm. contract claim. Even in those cases, or or I could sell a book or a movie, and I could make my customers, my patrons sign an agreement saying, I'm going to buy this book from you, but I promise I won't make a copy. Now, I think there's problems with that. I think that uh, – uh, You'd have to define what it means to make a copy. Basically, you'd have to say you can't use the information at all to make this a complete thing that simulates what copyright is, and people wouldn't want to do that. And furthermore, you're you're basically harming your own customers. The few people that are willing to pay you, you're going to put a contractual uh, damages claim on them, whereas pirates can go out there and get it for free. So I think the whole contractual model wouldn't work, but I think if someone wants to have a contract… And bind their customers to not use the information in certain ways. That's their right under libertarian law to have a contract. Um, but even that wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be IP. And the reason is, and here we're getting into libertarian. I mean, legal arcana. In the law, there's a difference between what's called in rem rights, or which means a, a piece of property, and in personam rights or contractual rights. And libertarians don't quite understand this, but they're relying upon the first classification. When they say there's a natural right to this product, they don't want to rely upon a contract. They want it to be a natural right, an in rem right. 
There's just no way you can construct an in-rim right or a real property right from contract. The contract can only bind the people, the parties to the contract. So I am totally in favor of contractual systems. People can do what they want with freedom of contract. I don't think they could construct anything very similar at all to modern IP. If they could, good for them. I'm fine. I'm fine for them to do that. I don't think it's feasible. I don't think it's workable. I think it, it's contrary to the nature of information and learning. Look, every inventor or every artist that you can uh, can herald as a, a benefactor of mankind, and it's true, has themselves benefited from this vast and expanding body of knowledge that we have as the human society, right, and human civilization. Every generation is better off than the last in part because the body of knowledge keeps expanding. We all build upon the accumulated body of scientific knowledge, physical knowledge, engineering knowledge, artistic and cultural knowledge, um, and we well, all benefit from that. We swim in that plasma. Yes, in but isn't that, an, isn't that a, a utilitarian argument against intellectual property? No, I, I, what I'm trying to do is, is paint a picture of the role of knowledge in mm -hmm. human action and to show that if you start having this ownership idea of information, it contradicts the benefits that all these new creators have reaped by building upon all the creations that have come before them. Mm -hmm. they're, they're trying to have it both ways in a sense. They're trying to take advantage of the, the last 10,000 years of human civilization but then lock down their, their incremental contribution to it. Well, I, I think that <laughs> I think if nothing less, people understand kind of the 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 competing ideas between intellectual property um, and both for and against. And uh, and I don't know if we I don't know if we we solved anything here in the last forty five minutes. And I don't know that I expected us to. I just really wanted to give everybody here the opportunity to hear uh, both sides and for them to be able to draw their their own conclusions and what we've what we've probably accomplished here is we have solidified no matter whatever your 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 preformed idea was we've likely solidified that you have the correct one or at least uh, that's what typically happens with these types of discussions but i really do appreciate you coming on and and what i will do is on at jasonstapleton.com underneath the podcast section where we post this episode i will link back to your website uh stefan has a, a massive amount of information and if this is something that is of deep interest to you and you want to pursue it further so you can understand it better i have i, I don't know that there is a better place for you to be able to do that but uh, thank you so very much for coming on the show, and, and I appreciate your time, and I know everybody else did. Jason, I've appreciated it. Let, let me just say one final thing, if you don't mind. You um, I, I agree with your assessment, and I think that what people need to realize is that there is a case or, – or put it this way. The case I'm making is one that comes from a love of capitalism, a love of the free market, a love of individual freedom a love of innovation and the mind and private property rights uh, and libertarianism. Uh, so my argument is one that is not based in uh, hostility towards capitalism or hostility towards property rights. My view and, – and plus I know a lot about the system since I, this is my career. I've done this for 20-plus years now, so I understand this very well. So if I'm wrong, it's not coming from a hostility towards the free market or from uh, from ignorance of the way the system works. So I just people should just be aware that there are people out there that understand how the system works and that are in favor of liberty and human freedom and capitalism and that is our basis for opposing intellectual property. I oppose it 
not because I hate the free market, but because I love the free market. So I just think people should be just be aware of that when they consider these issues. Yeah, yeah, and and I would I, I would I would never even consider that uh, that you might have been approaching it from a position that the uh, of a, of a dislike for capitalism. I really want to. You know, there were some comments made when we had the the, the private Facebook discussion that said uh, something to akin to you. There's no way you could possibly be a libertarian and believe in intellectual property rights. And I said, Correct. well, that's not really a very fair argument. I, I know right. that there. Are, there are cases to be made for and against, and I think the best thing that I can do when we have these type of deep, deeper intellectual discussions yep. about libertarian topics is to try and provide, uh, you know, the argument for both sides, and then yes. and let, let let the the end user, the listener, make their choice about uh, about how they want to view it. But uh, you're absolutely right. There is it does not mean that you're you're not part of the club because you tend to view intellectual property one way or another. I think that. Uh, you know what? What's needed is is for people to to, to study and, and to draw their own conclusions. But it's uh, it's it's a very it's a much more important issue than people realize. It's become more important since the internet has arisen, but it's a difficult issue. And right. I understand. Look, it took me five years to figure this out. I understand why it's hard for people to figure it out, and I understand why people have a different view than me. So it's not a litmus test issue. It's an extremely important issue, but it is difficult, and I totally understand people who are confused. I just think people should approach it honestly. When you have someone who's an author and so they're just in favor of it because they have a self-interest, you know, they have a bias. Right. Um, you have to have an honest uh, approach to it and, and 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 try to really figure out the truth rather than just tendentiously argue for your side. So I, absolutely. Um, and I, I appreciate your perspective as well. Okay. Well, thank you so very much. I, again, I, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, and uh, if this topic comes around again, we'll we'll have you on again. Sounds great. Thanks, Thanks very you, much, sir. Jason. Bye bye.